Last spring, Congress passed the Medicare Access and CHIP Reauthorization Act, which eliminated the Sustainable Growth Rate Formula, the SGR, and ushered in a new system for reimbursing physicians under Medicare. The so-called Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is part of a larger movement in the United States toward paying for medical services on the basis of value rather than volume. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Jonathan Oberlander, a professor of social medicine and health policy and management at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Professor Oberlander has co-authored a perspective article about the new law and its potential effects on the quality of care and healthcare spending. Professor Oberlander, to start, how did this law win bipartisan support? Why did legislators on both sides of the aisle decide that it was time to get rid of the SGR? The SGR, of course, has been a target for medical professionals for over a decade. And for the longest time, it seemed to be the policy that everybody could agree was not working, and yet we couldn't get rid of. And two things happened that really allowed it to finally see its demise. The first is the slowdown in healthcare spending, and particularly in the rate of growth in Medicare spending, which made it comparatively less expensive to repeal the SGR. The second is that Congress abandoned what had been a long-held principle that they would only repeal the SGR if they had offsetting savings to cover the projected costs. In this case of the legislation that just passed, the MACRA, they offset some of the costs, but most of the costs they didn't try to offset at all. And that, of course, made it much more politically expedient to do. As you write in your article, physicians will be able to choose whether to be paid under MIPS or to join an alternative payment model program. Why did Congress decide to give that option to physicians? I think Congress is trying to do a couple things at once. They really are embracing what we often call value-based purchasing or pay for performance really wanting to link fee payments to measures of value in different way. And the MIPS payment is really a way of doing that, trying to come up with measures that allow Medicare to pay not just on the basis of volume, but to put in quality and other measures as well. At the same time, they also very much want to encourage innovation and promotion of alternative delivery models things like accountable care organizations and patient-centered medical home and the like. And so they wanted to create some incentives for more physicians to join those sort of new delivery and payment models. And in fact, the incentives in the legislation to join those models are extraordinarily strong. So the argument has been that moving away from fee-for-service is the way, perhaps the only way, to contain costs. You point out in your article some of the problems with that argument including the fact that other countries spend less than the United States, but they use fee-for-service systems. Do you think that the new law will have any effect on healthcare costs? I'm sure it's going to have an effect. We just don't know what it is. And I think the issue with fee-for-service is widely misunderstood in the United States. I believe that Churchill said that democracy was the worst form of government except for all the others. And fee-for-service may be the worst form of payment except for all the others. There's no question that there are problems with fee-for-service. It can be inherently inflationary. It can create problems in coordination. Lots of issues with it. It's not a great system. On the other hand, we know there are, as we wrote in the piece, other nations that pay fee-for-service, and what they do is regulate the fees. What has been done here in the macro legislation is to take the annual theater and drama and uncertainty of the SGR away and in its place in the short term to 
to schedule a half 0.5% increase in Medicare fees through 2019. And then after that, what doctors will get paid will depend on whether they join this MIPS incentive system or they go to the alternative payment model. At the end of the day, I think there's tremendous uncertainty about what kind of effect this is going to have on Medicare spending in the long run. Looking at that MIPS, at the new system, it's going to rely on a composite performance score to determine payments to physicians. What quality measures are being proposed for that formula, and what kind of evidence is there to support them? Well, at the moment, we have only really general categories, and those categories include meaningful use of electronic health records, resource use, and engagement in quality improvement activities, as well as quality. And those are probably a pretty laudable series of categories that, to some extent, reflect policies that we already have on the books in Medicare and and value-based purchasing. And so the composite measure sort of brings them all together. The issue, I think, is what MIPS wants to do is really get at the level of individual physician performance. And measuring individual physician performance and quality of care, as folks like Bob Berenson have suggested, is very difficult indeed. And it is not clear at the moment that we actually have robust enough and meaningful enough measures to do it well and to do it accurately. I think that Rosenthal is talking about the same sort of thing in a related perspective article where she says that MIPS has to be flexible enough to account for the heterogeneous practice styles of physicians for the settings in which they work. Is that flexibility going to be there, do you think? If ambiguity is conducive to flexibility, the answer is yes, because there's a tremendous amount of ambiguity Much of this law has yet to play out, and as Dr. Rosenthal rightly says, much of it is going to depend on the implementation, on the promulgation of rules. We don't know, for example, exactly what quality measures will be used in this composite score, even though we do know that quality measures initially will comprise 30% of that score. We also know from the law, at least it appears, that physicians will be able to choose which measures they want to be scored against. So there's just a lot of ambiguity here, and it's extremely difficult, given the diversity you just talked about of clinicians and clinical fields and clinical practice, to come up with one measure for everybody. And so the ambiguity is, in a sense, I guess, encouraging that there will be flexibility, but it also raises questions about how feasible this is going to be. If we assume that the measures are good and that all of that is successfully worked out, do you think that the fee differentials that MIPS creates are going to be large enough to motivate physicians to make changes to the way they practice? The fee differentials in MIPS accelerate over time. They start out in 2019 at 4%. In other words, fees can be adjusted upward or downward by 4%, and they get up to 9%, which is a fairly significant chunk within three years. But the real question is whether we have our eyes, I think, on the right ball, because much of the commentary in the health policy community has been on MIPS and measuring and the implementation and so forth. But if you read the analysis done by the actuary for the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services by CMS, what the actuary says is that the incentives over time to join the alternative payment model are so strong that a couple decades hence, he predicts there won't be any physicians left in the MIPS side of Medicare. Everybody will have joined an alternative payment model. Now, that raises its own set of questions, namely, what is an alternative payment model, and are we going to define it so broadly as we did with managed care that everything counts? But it's not clear to me, and I think only time will tell, 
exactly in the long term how significant MIPS is going to be because it may be that people will shift out of it and into this other system that will give them significantly higher fee increases after 2025. Thank you, Professor Oberlander.